We're finishing up a sermon series this morning called Reset. Over the last couple of weeks, we've looked at how is it you and I need to reset our, our prayer life, our, our time in the Word. Last week, we looked at can, do we need a reset on how God views us and values us? Can we press through those feelings and, and see what he's been saying through this gospel, the gospel of Luke, to his desire for us, but also our ministry to those on the margins? Will we answer Jesus' model and call to serve those who are in need? Today is an issue that these disciples needed a reset on. They, they, they've seen it modeled in Jesus' life. They've heard it talked about in Jesus' life. But finally, at the very end, really the last verse, they finally have a reset in their life. So we're going to look at three things. This is a Methodist sermon. So you're going to get three points, and they're all going to start with the same letter. So this is good for my note-takers. All right, ready? Here we go. What do they do? Let's start from the bottom first. Let's go down to the last verse. They worshiped. Verse 53, they worshiped. Now you say, well, wait a minute. All right, what's going on there? Why do you point that out? You know, if you go back just a few verses, Jesus, when he talks to them and he appears to them, he calls them out. Even post resurrection, some of you are still doubting. Even with me in your midst, in the room, some of you in your hearts are still doubting doubting. And you think about not just all the miracles that he had, he had done, but how many times that he talked about resurrection, and yet they can't get their head around it. The women have already reported that Jesus ha has been raised from the dead. I don't know here if verse 12 really belongs. This is one of the few times you'll see a bracket around a verse, but we know the event in verse 12 about Peter and the tomb and it being empty. We know from John that did happen, so they definitely, Peter couldn't have kept his mouth closed. They would have talked about that. So you've got the women's testimony, Peter's testimony. You've got the road to Emmaus testimony happening right here, and then Jesus shows up, and there's still doubt about Christ and his resurrection. I love that Jesus doesn't power play us. He doesn't compel and force belief. He gifts us, gifts us the freedom to choose. But he also gifts them what they need right then. What they're going to need for the work that they're called to do, Jesus gifts them exactly what they need. Look at verses 51 through 53. I wish I could have heard this last blessing. We maybe can draw from Matthew 28 to figure out what was said, but he blessed them. I, want, I wish I knew what those sweet words were to them. And then it says that he departs. So we know, reading Luke part 2, which is the book of Acts, we know what that looks like if you go to Acts chapter 1. So he departs. This is the ascension of Christ there at the base of the, mount, of, of the, of the mountain. Uh, so what's their response to him leaving his ascension and its worship? You say, well, of course they worship. I didn't see it till this week of study. Have you done the math on worship in Luke? We're going to talk about it Wednesday night because it's everywhere in the book of Luke. Just my short list. You've got Zechariah. You've got Mary. You've got Simeon. You just keep going uh, down. You've got uh, the shepherds giving praise. You've got people at a synagogue. You've got Jesus giving praise to God. You've got people at uh, Bartimaeus' healing giving praise to God. You've got the crowds on, on Palm Sunday. Even a Roman centurion praises God, worships God. When did the disciples praise God and worship God. Have you read that in Luke's gospel? You haven't. It hasn't happened yet. This is it. 
The first reporting we get of the disciples worshiping God, of giving praise to the Lord, is right here in the closing verse. They're about to face down the crowds in Acts chapter 2. They're about to go back uh, to Jerusalem. They're going to be called to go preach there and be open about their faith. And it's just like Jesus to give them exactly what they need. This one in whom we had so much expectation, this one who has been our friend, he's been our teacher, uh, uh, our healer, and we got to see him ascend. He is Lord. He is Lord. This one now who has gone to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father forever, and they go back worshiping to Jerusalem. This is a moment that they needed from Jesus before they step into that world. Because where are they going back to? They're going back to no man's land. They're going back to the killing fields. They're going back to the town where they just killed their, their teacher and their Messiah. And now there's rumors that, he's, that the tomb is empty. And so who do you think they're looking for next? They know that they are marked. They know that they are in trouble. That's why they've been trembling and hiding since Jesus' death. They see him ascend. Jesus gives them that confidence. And they walk right back into a place where we may die. And they worship. And they give praise to God. The fear was gone. Not only does he give them what they need to step into the work and the ministry that he has for them, but also now, you remember Mark chapter 14, 50, it says, it wasn't just Judas and it wasn't just Peter, but every last one of the disciples tucked tail and ran. They all deserted Jesus when he was arrested. They all left. Jerusalem for them was a place not just of fear, but a place of shame. When our Lord needed us and we all swore at that table, it will not be me, we all ran. To go back to that city, to that place, and they're praising. They're free from from that shame. They're free from that humiliation because they know that Christ has completed his work in his cross and resurrection and they don't have to live in that shame. Matter of fact, Jesus will talk about it in a minute that, that, that Jesus can have that shame and that weakness and that hurt and use it for his glory. Can God have your stuff, your past, your shame, and, and not only forgive and redeem it, but to use it for his glory, to bless somebody else. They went back to a place where they had abandoned Jesus and their hearts were full because they had seen the ascended Christ. They knew he was alive. They they knew he was on the throne and they praised him. They worshiped. Verse 49, they didn't just worship, they waited. He told them to stay in the city until the power of God would Come And I wonder partly, and I've heard a professor say this from Wesley Seminary one time, I wonder if partly not only did, he, were they, did they go back to the city because Jesus commanded it, but I wonder if part of it was he knows the hearts of men and how we can puff ourselves up 
And so he sends them to the very place of their greatest failure. And so when, when Christ gets the glory, when his name is lifted up, when the nations get to know Christ, and, and you see what happens in these disciples' lives, we're going to know it's not because of them. It's because of power from on high. This is the place where you proved you, you are not enough. But I'm not only going to heal you and forgive you, it's in that place that I'm going to build you up so that in just a few days, when the crowds are murmuring and the gifts drop at Pentecost, Peter, who denied three times, even to a young girl, stands up and says, these men are not drunk. Let me tell you what, what's going on in their lives. The Holy Spirit has dropped. He's dropped. That kind of place where Peter has a past, but he goes to that place and he's relying on the Spirit and he can speak up and do the work that Christ has called him to do. And if you go through, this, this is the part of the gift of the book, book of Luke being also connected to Acts. Have you, have you seen how much of the Holy Spirit is in Luke's gospel? Go back to chapter 1 through 4 and don't just watch Mary's life or Elizabeth's life or Zachariah's life. Watch Jesus' life. Not just Simeon's life, but it's Jesus. Not only does the Spirit fall on Jesus at his baptism, but it's the Spirit that compels him to go into the wilderness. It's the Spirit who's on him to preach uh, the good news. It's the Spirit who, uh, uh, he says, I'm led by the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit. He rejoices, Luke chapter 10, in the Spirit. He's modeled for them. If you and I are going to do, if the disciples are going to do the work that they're called to do, Jesus himself says, I wait on the Spirit. I am led by the Spirit. And so you and I have to make sure we're not getting ahead of the Spirit. That you and I wait for God to do the work that he wants to do on us and not get ahead of his sovereign plans for us. You in a season, are you in a season right now where you're trying to get out of it and you're not waiting on the Lord's timing for that season for it to do its work, or am I the only one? Anybody else here? What we see in these disciples is they don't rush to go do ministry. They listen to Jesus and they wait, as the choir beautifully reminded us this morning, they wait for the Spirit to fall upon them. I love what Eugene Peterson says, and I quote this all the time, I know that. But he says, people are trying to tell you to do more. I want to tell you to do less. The world is telling you to do more. I want to tell you to do less. The world does not need more of you. It needs more of Jesus. Your friends don't need more of you. They need more of Jesus. You don't need more of you. You need more of Jesus. Go back to Jerusalem and wait. The Spirit will come. How is it you and I need a reset on that? To really wait upon the Lord for his will, for his empowerment. We are called to be a people who wait well. They worship they wait, and then lastly in verse 48, not only are they witnesses, but we know from Luke's gospel and this great commission as well as Acts what's coming, they will be witnesses. Verse 46 said, they witnessed, you're witnesses to these things, you saw me live, you saw me die, you saw me resurrected, and now verse 47, Jesus says, this news is for all the nations. 
Jesus has been, as we saw it last week, been modeling for these disciples, watch me as I reach for every kind of person you can imagine. Not just to meet needs, but to preach, for that's why I've come, to reach and seek and save the lost. That's, that's one of the key, things, uh, key themes in Luke. Luke's a Gentile. We know he's writing to Gentiles. Right out of the chute, the first thing, when they go to Jerusalem with the baby Jesus just days after his birth, it's Simeon who takes up the Christ child in his arms and says, this one, this one is born to be a light to the Gentiles. This one has come not just to be the glory of his people Israel, but to be a light unto the Gentiles. This one is to be Savior for all. We routinely see in Scripture there's different images we get of Christ in, in, in the different Gospels. In, in John, he's the Logos, the Word of God, the Lamb of God, the Shepherd of God. In Matthew, he is the awaited uh, Messiah. In Mark, he is the suffering servant who came to be a, not to be served, but to serve. But in Luke, we see that the Son of Man has come to seek everybody who would receive. Everybody who would respond. I've worked through my chosen people, yes, but I've done that so I could come to this moment and say, this has always been for all. Luke will not let us miss that. And there are times they miss it. You get into Luke's, Luke, uh, excuse me, you get into Acts chapter 10, and it takes a, a great sheet for P- Peter to get over his legalism and all his stuff. You get into to, to Luke 9, and Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem, and, and you've got John and James. Again, the inner three can't get it. John and James, the sons of thunder. Lord, do you want us to call down fire on these Samaritans and burn them up? They can't get their heart and head around. Jesus has come for all and so here's this reminder again you go and you wait but my name has to go out to all and he commissions them for that work i love that john wesley our forefather has said over and over again the world's my parish yes and he says to his preacher you have you have nothing to do but to save souls spend and be spent in that work that's the heart of why we exist church Yes, to bless one another, to walk with one another hurts, to grow up the next generation, yes. But to say to the world, Jesus, the Savior of the world, desires a relationship with you. And and it's free to you through the death of him on his cross and through his resurrection. Francis Asbury, one of the first two Methodist bishops, wrote this in his journal. I've been reading through, I've told you this before, I've been reading through his journal, but I love what he says here. We have to encounter, he's talking about his going out and preaching. He says, we have to encounter hunger, heat, and many restless nights with mosquitoes. I might have tapped out right there. (laughs) I I know it looks like I couldn't have dealt with the hunger. I know that. But maybe I could have pressed through that in the heat. But then mosquitoes. And then he says, unwholesome provisions, bad water. He's recounting all these things, all these tough, tough things that he's going through to try to reach people. But I love the next sentence. But all this is for souls. Bad water, mosquitoes, heat, hunger, terrible food. It's for souls. Yeah, I can do this. I can get through this. Because our task, our calling, is to take Jesus to all 
the nations. Discipleship, which is another key theme we'll look at on Wednesday night in Luke, because Luke is not playing about discipleship. Jesus says some of his toughest things about what it means to be a disciple in that gospel, but our discipleship is not complete until we get to this point. It's not just, can I grow in Christ? Can I love Christ and adore Christ and look more like Christ? But discipleship's not complete in Luke's gospel until the disciples make disciples. To the disciples, share the name of Christ. I love that Methodists got that right in 2008. For years, I mean, it's almost 30 plus, yeah, yeah, 40 years, where we just kind of missed that. We kind of said, if you're going to be a part of a Methodist church, you got to promise your prayers, your presence, you know it, gifts, service, that was it. And those are wonderful biblical responsibilities of every believer. But in that statement in itself, you can, it's almost internal. You can almost interpret that as circling the wagons. And the church has never been about that solely. It's important. Most of the spiritual gifts are given to the building up of the body of Christ. But to be a disciple, discipleship's not complete until you make disciples. So the church got it right several years ago when they said, hey, maybe we need to talk about witnessing. Prayers, presence, gift, service. But you've got you've to lift up Christ. How is it you and I can be intentional and creative and careful to lift up the name of Christ and take him to all the nations. And just as a reminder to our students, you're it, by the way. If you're in junior high and high school, you are on the forefronts of ministry. As we watch people who say yes to Jesus Christ, if once they get to about 13, they say yes. I think it's a lot of Lutheran and Methodist confirmation classes. But then it'll dip a little bit, and then it'll go up to 18. But if you haven't said yes to Jesus Christ by the time you're 18, that number goes down for the rest of a person's life. Our students, and I love Corey and our leadership because they're hel helping them and encouraging them. And our students do this. They invite like crazy. You are on the front line, students, of, of lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. Our college students are on the front lines of lifting up the name. But this is how God has always worked. Not through preachers, but through the people of God who say, you know what, I'll be a bridge of God. 66, I say this all the time, I know, 66 to 75% of everybody who bows the knee to Jesus Christ in our current culture do so because of a friend, a relative, a business associate, or a neighbor. Somebody who will have coffee, somebody who will say, I'll be praying for you about that, but that'd be okay if I pray with you about that. Just somebody who builds a relationship, somebody, somebody who, will, who will take care when there's hurting in life to be a friend and come alongside of it's through the people of God that disciples are one. They're commissioned here. They're commissioned to make sure that they take the name of Jesus with them. And listen, I don't know about you, but I look at my own, and again, you know this, our job's simply to be faithful, equipped, expectant, but it's all on, it's all on the Lord and the person to receive. But sometimes you just feel so inadequate that you just kind of back away from that responsibility. Sometimes we go to work or we go to community events, we go to sports, and that's not even on our radar. But you read the Gospel of Luke, and it's always on Jesus' radar. Could this be the day where my friend's going to need me? Could this be the day that somebody at work's going to need me to pray for them? Could this be the day? Whatever that might be, it's a beautiful thing, the priesthood of all believers. We're all called. We all can. We all matter. To the kingdom of God. I, Sarah and I were watching, I don't know if you've seen the movie uh, 13 Lives, 
but it's the movie of the true story of the rescue from a soccer team from Thailand who got caught in a cave because of flooding. That's been on our minds. Uh, they got caught in a cave, and so four divers from England and a couple, of, uh, the true story is a couple of divers from Aust- Australia as well, go and they, they train and work to get into that cave uh, to finally get those kids out one by one. And when the kids start finally coming out weeks after they've been in this cave, um, the, the crowds there are just are going crazy and ecstatic, obviously, as one by one they begin to come out. But my favorite scene in it, as I think about our life together, as I think about Luke 15, that talks about the celebration that happens when somebody comes home to the Lord, that heaven is shaken and that there's celebration and, and glory in heaven itself over somebody coming home, a lost sheep being returned, a coin being found, a lost child coming home to the waiting father. When I saw the end of that movie, it was, yes, they're coming home, rightly they should celebrate. But I love minutes later when the guys got their gear who were divers and they're walking to their cars later and some people applaud them. And to to hear the crowd say, thank you, thank you for reaching for our children. It's the same thing I love at the end of Apollo 13. By the way, if you haven't seen these movies, spoiler alert, that's decades old. But the end of the movie, it's like we got those three guys home. But I just love the faces on the people at NASA, the people who are working tirelessly to get them home. That's part of the celebration. You and I, as followers of Christ, as these these men, these 11 are commissioned. We're commissioned. We're commissioned to, 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 he'll give us what we need. I pray you have a reset on that. Jesus is Lord, that you go in that confidence that you would not let your past determine who you are and what you can do for the kingdom, but you'll give it to Jesus and allow him to have that. I pray that we will wait well. Whatever season we're in, we don't stay in it any longer than we have to, but we'll trust him with it and wait for his empowering to do whatever he's called us to do, his leading, but also that you and I will know that wonderful, wonderful call. that We get to tell it. We get to lift up his name. Who is that for you? How is that for you? Do you and I need a reset there? Our closing hymn is always one of response. It's hymn 571, Go Make of All.